Blog Talk Radio. Commander 500 at Texas Motor Speedway. We have the Food City 500 at Bristol Motor Speedway coming up next week. It's a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, Duck Commander 500, Kyle Busch, his 36th career NASCAR Sprint Cup Series victory. Uh, he did the fastest car, though, John. I mean, when you think about that, when I think about that race, I'm going to think about Carl Edwards and Martin Truex Jr. They had their own issues why they fell back, but Kyle Busch at the end was able to. Uh, had the right pit strategy and had the right amount of luck and a good, a good enough race car at the end of the day to finish in the first position and win his 36th career NASCAR Spring Cup Series race. I think one of the things you look at, it was on uh, NBC's NASCAR, NASCAR talk, Cole Pern actually apologized to the team for not bringing Truex in. If Cole Pern comes in with everybody else, Truex runs away with that race. He was by far the best car on the track most of the night. Edwards was really good for his spells, but he had his issues. But Truex was, he was on a rail most of the night. I mean, he was two, three-tenths faster than most everybody else. I mean, if he'd come out of pit road third or fourth, give him ten laps, and he was blowing by you and then just putting people down. Um, I mean, what they at one point they had, I saw Truex passing 13th place and putting them a lap down. And it just was one of those mile and a half where once you get out there in the lead, it was tough catching you, and everybody else is just falling prey to the leader. Yeah, it was an interesting mile and a half race. I thought early on, John, there was a lot of passing. You know, we saw Chase Elliott come from uh, the rear of the field after a transmission change. He worked his way up to about 24th spot. Caution came out. I'm old school, and I'm going to complain until the day I die, I think about competition cautions. I hate them. I, I hate them worse than anything in the world. And um, I hate the fact that there was a competition caution just because, again, like Chase Elliott, I think he caught a break as far as having a, a transmission change. I think you, you look at it and you say, well, they might have thought about, well, we can change the transmission because it's going to rain. We know a competition caution is going to come, catch us up back to the field, and we won't fall a lap down where at the pace Truex was running early on in that race, he was going to set those cars at the 20th, 15th, a lap down like he did early. But once the competition calls came out, it took him a little bit longer to lap the, lap the field the way he did. Um, Truex was unbelievable. And I'm not saying it was a, it was a bad race as far as – because Martin Truex Jr. dominated. I don't think it necessarily we have to see passes for the lead to have a good race. I think early on in the race there was some passing. But once we got later on into run with the cooler weather, the cooler air, for some reason I just felt like they were when they got close to somebody, their cars didn't handle correctly. And I thought it was, a, it was a very lackluster finish to the Duck Commander 500. A lot of talk on the radio and on and print media and stuff, John, about this shortening this race to 400 miles. Your thoughts on that? What do you think about the Duck Commander 500 getting shortened to 400 miles before we move on here in our Texas review? I think one of the things that I mean, I was listening to Sirius throughout the week so far, and I think the fans sort of have it. A night race that's 500 miles is too long especially whenever they had a almost two-hour rain delay before they got started. I mean, I watched as much as I could, and I fell asleep at midnight. I mean, there's still 60 laps to go whenever I wound up crashing, so I had to watch the highlights to find out the rest of it. If you're going to run a night race other than the Coke 600, and, I mean, heck, Darlington's going to be 500 miles, and it's going to go on and on and on, but... It's Darlington. I can live with Darlington. But Texas, only been on the circuit for 20 years now. I think it should be 400 miles if it's going to be a night race. Or run it in the daytime where it's 80 degrees down there in Texas this week. 
the track temperatures heat up, the slipping and sliding heats up, and it puts more driving in. The more grip they have, the worse the racing is. And that's what happens when you get a night race because at cooler temperatures, tires grip to the track well, you're not slipping and sliding. You've got it, I mean, like Truex had, he was on a rail. He, I mean, whenever you watch them run the mile and a half in Atlanta, you watch them run the other mile and a half at Vegas, they were running during the day. And even when Harvick was leading all those laps, coming around three and four, he was wiggling. You didn't see that out of Truex. You didn't see that out of Edwards whenever they were in the lead. Once you're in the lead, you were gone on a night race at a mile and a half because the temp- track temperatures are down, the tires are getting all the grip, and nobody's going to be able to touch you. Yeah, and I think also uh, it just shows you right now the, the kind of stranglehold that Joe Gibbs Racing has over this sport on the mile and a half programs right now. It's been about a year. I remember watching Joe Gibbs Racing at Richmond a year ago when it was a rain. If you remember the rain at this race at Richmond in two weeks, it was rain postponed, pushed to Sunday afternoon, and Joe Gibbs Racing really struggled. I remember Carl Edwards finished, uh, struggled really bad. Denny Hamlin struggled really bad. They had something in the front end that was off. And then they figured out, they, they said, you know, we're going to give Joe Gibbs Racing a little bit more horsepower coming up. And bam, they've just been on a rail ever since. We saw Kyle Busch's great run last year, great run to the championship last year. Denny Hamlin's been pretty good. Um, we know Matt Kenseth's capable of, capable of, and now we're seeing it with Martin Church Jr. as well, and everybody at Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole. They're, they have a stranglehold on this sport over the mile and a half right now, and I think that is something not to be taken lightly. But, you know, and you mentioned Cole Pern, and we'll give you the top five real quick. Dale Earnhardt Jr. was second, Joey Logano third, Jimmy Johnson fourth, and Chase Elliott fifth. And I'll tell you, John, before we get to Martin Church Jr., I was impressed with Chase. I thought starting from the rear, I know that the competition caution really helped them maneuver through the field and didn't help have them fall a lap down early on in that race. But he was able to pass some cars, finish in the fifth spot. He took tires at the end. I thought Gustafson screwed up originally uh, by not taking four tires. Originally he took two, and then he came back, lost in track position, took four tires again, and then worked his way up to fifth. But I thought from that whole 2014 with a rookie driver out there to work his way through the field and, and finish in the fifth spot was pretty impressive. I think Chase Elliott is, and this is one of the things you and I talked about at the beginning of the season with this low downforce package. Those rookies don't know any better. This is what they've got. This is all they've driven. It's not like you've got someone like Jimmy Johnson who's driven the last three generations of cars. You don't have the Biffle who's driving three generations of cars. These rookies, Elliott, Blaney, they're in great equipment, but they also, this is what they know. They ran a few races in the old stuff before, but this is what they're knowing. This is what they're getting used to. I think Chase Elliott, on top of that, he may be a rookie, but he's far from a rookie. He's been, I mean, he had diapers changed at the track. He pretty much has lived this life. It's nothing that's going to be one of those oh, wow moments. This is where he's always supposed to be. It's where he's always been. And this is what he's been building towards since he was able to drive a go-kart at four years old. They've had him on a plan. He's been in Hendrick Driver Development Program since he was 14 years old. So it's not like he's ever been in crap equipment. He's always been in the good stuff. He's shown that he can do it at the Xfinity level, and he's beating he's beaten, uh, the Kyle Bushes and stuff two years ago when he won the championship. He won with the other cup drivers in the field, especially when he won at Darlington. I mean, that shows that you know how to wheel a car if you can win at Darlington. Yeah, I agree with you. And he, he did a really good job. And let's talk about uh, Martin Strix Jr. here. Truex, obviously, like I said earlier, 141 laps led. You know, what bothered me about the caution that kind of did Truex in, John, I think it was it was a, a bogus debris caution to kind of throw in the competition. To me, and this is how I feel, if, if somebody like the 78 team can go out there and completely dominate our race like they did on Saturday night, they should be rewarded for that. I know it's not exactly, you know, they're sticking up the show, quote-unquote, but they, they were the ones that came here with a legal race car. They, they ran good. They did everything perfectly right. And I don't think that's the fact of sticking up the show. I just think we didn't see a lot of passing throughout the field entirely. Um, and I feel for Cole Pern. I think he was put in an impossible situation. There was talk. I read that Truex was wanting to come down anyway, but he thought he was going to hit the commit cone. And so he didn't. And Tyres gave up a lot of Texas. So I think when 
he realized, you know, they were on four t- old tires, and everybody behind them were going to be on new tires. I think they realized they were kind of a sitting duck. Ended up in the sixth spot, which, you know, could have been a lot worse. He could have been outside the top ten. But still, uh, for a, a car and a team that absolutely dominated that race, um, a lack, lackluster finish Martin Trix Jr., you have to feel for him in that 78 team, and especially Cole Pern. Well, I was just reading Dustin Long's article today. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, where he was talking to Dave Wilson, the TRD president, and he was saying that they still are just migrating stuff to Furniture Row. They haven't really totally gotten full into the program. They're just getting started. And since the drop of the green at Daytona, Truex has been a he's been a he's been a factor every race this year. He hasn't been fifteenth, twentieth. He's been up in the top five, top ten all season long. And the longer that they get accustomed to the Toyota equipment, they're gonna they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. Now, the one thing that you said last year at the Richmond race, where it seemed like all of JGR was out to lunch, but since then, Toyota came up with more horsepower. They figured out the front end, and the Toyotas have been on a rail. When's Hendrick going to catch up on the horsepower? When's true? Um, you never hear Doug Yates' cars lacking for horsepower, but Keselowski and Logano haven't had anything for the Toyotas or Harvick in reality. I mean, Harvick's the one outlier. Johnson's won a couple races on strategy, but Harvick's been the only real Chevy up there leading laps. It's either been Harvick, Kyle Busch, or Truex up in the front. And that's where it's been this year. I mean, where's Hendrick's engine department? Why are they behind? Where's the Childress engine department? What are they doing to catch up? I mean, and it's also NASCAR's one of those things where you watch and you see somewhere in the middle somebody's going to catch lightning in a bottle, and what you see right now may not be what you see when we head to the chase. You're right about that, and I think there's a lot of teams trying some things. You might see Hendrick Motorsports try some things with some teams, but you're definitely right. You know, even Jimmy Johnson, yeah, he ran, finished fourth. He wasn't really where he needed to be. And I'm going to say this about Kevin Harvick at Texas. I thought Kevin Harvick, you know, for what he, that team's been capable of, really what we've seen from that team the last two and a half years, he wasn't very good at Texas Motor Speedway. He finished 10th, was probably an 8th to 10th place car all night long, and you have to kind of scratch your head and go, well, what happened with Harvick? Why wasn't he up there leading laps like we're capable of him seeing like he's capable of doing like we've seen him do in the past, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to us. You know, and 10 splits is a very good run for, you know, people would kill to be that way. Um, but he struggled for, the, for most of the night, too, so that was kind of an interesting, top, an interesting thought there as well. JGR completely dominates, and, and the Hendrick guys, again, struggled. Dale Jr. finished second, but, you know, he wasn't leading laps either. He was, he was, he was probably the best guy from Hendrick Motorsports, no doubt about it. Uh, he was able to work his way up to the field, but uh, I think they all know they're behind it at Joe Gibbs Racing, and they're going to be more aggressive here as the races go on. Carl Edwards, too, John, he led a lot of laps, finished in the seventh spot, but had a loose wheel that had to force him to pit from the, uh, under green. And it was an interesting topic here uh, that got a lot of play here during the race, an interesting topic here this week, what teams are doing with the lug nuts. Now, obviously, you know, you've know known here the last year and a half, Really, since the beginning of 2015, NASCAR took away the uh, pit road officials on pit road. There's only a handful of them now, and they are now letting the teams police themselves on lug nuts. And these teams aren't even gluing five lug nuts to the wheels prior to them being put, being on the wheels. There's only four. Joe Gibbs Racing went with four this week, and they had two times. I think Matt Kenseth had a, had a loose wheel as well, um, where they had loose wheels. And it, to me, is is it's almost counterproductive to where. If these pit crew guys, you're putting so much pressure on your tire changers to hit all four lug nuts. You know, if they don't get the first one perfectly, then they then they got to hit the rest of the, the rest of the three. If they miss one, then there's only two two and a half lug nuts on, and you're sitting there scratching your head, going, "Huh, that's not very good." So they have to come in down and pit. And pit. Uh, I I just think they're almost playing with fire here, John, by by not putting five lug nuts on the tires. But you know, I think they're going to continue to do it until uh, maybe the chase. I think even during the chase, that extra second on pit road a lot of times is a spot or two. I mean, you see some of the guys who are putting on five lug nuts, that extra lug nut on each side of the car is about a second. As slow as that, I mean, as 
weird as that sounds, that one second could be three or four spots coming off pit road. The thing that I'm surprised about is they're being just brash enough to just glue four lug nuts on instead of gluing all five on, and then if they're going to tighten four, tighten four, but at least put the fifth lug nut on there so nobody's... I mean, I saw more pictures of wheels and lug nuts on Saturday night than I've seen in 35 years of watching racing. And that's the first time I ever saw something like that, that anybody would even bother just putting four lug nuts on. At least glue the fifth one on so people aren't looking at you. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Darrell Walter talked about a lot on the broadcast where he was saying, you know, uh, it's dangerous. NASCAR needs to kind of take take that back. But I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon. I think that, you know, there's a big penalty, stiff penalty for wheel falls off. And, you know, when you get a loose wheel and it vibrates like that, uh, it's hard to drive. I just think it's funny. It's interesting. Joe Gibbs Racing is a team doing that. They're looking for every inch to stay ahead of the competition. And uh, it's going to be something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's going to be as big here in the next couple of weeks at Bristol and Richmond uh, on the shorter tracks. When we get to the big tracks, Talladega and Kansas and all those tracks, Charlotte coming up, that's something to keep an eye on as well. And eighth place run for Casey Kane too, John. I thought it was a good run for him. He is the guy who struggled all year long. I think his best run was in Daytona. He had a top ten there, but they've struggled badly uh, to come out and finish eighth. But he had a little bit of a dust-up with Greg Biffle to where Greg Biffle's come out now and said uh, Kane is going to get some retaliation. We have two short tracks, Bristol. It's a good track for retaliation. Same thing with Richmond. Another good track for, for retaliation, but it's the second time in three weeks Kane has been involved in a wreck with somebody on a racetrack where it was kind of blamed his fault. Um, do you think Biffle will retaliate in the next two weeks, and do you think this run by Casey Kane here will help him get his season going? I think the run can help get his season going, but the other part that I can't see is Biffle. Biffle's going to have to watch himself and be – pretty darn close, I mean, pretty pretty darn sneaky about it, because if you remember a couple, I mean, last fall, Kenseth said, I'll get my revenge, and I mean, flat out put Logano out of the chase. I don't see NASCAR letting them, especially when Biffle made the note saying, okay, payback's coming. I mean, this isn't Jimmy Spencer anymore, where he just kept it quiet and said, okay, I, I've got my list and you're on it. I mean, you're going out and saying it publicly. NASCAR is going to watch it. If they don't mind their P's and Q's, somebody's going to get black flagged. Somebody's going to get parked for a while. And somebody's going to get a big fine and possibly a point deduction, Greg Biffle, if you do something like that. That's why you need to make sure that if you're going to get revenge, be quiet about it. Don't say it. Don't go crazy. Just say, okay, it was a racing deal. But Mark, do the old Jimmy Spencer thing, Mr. Mister Excitement never forgets, and you you find your way to get your revenge in a, where nobody's really thinking about it. This one, people are going in there, I'm surprised, I mean, you watch and see if Bristol doesn't put a billboard up sometime this week um, with Biffle and Kane and boxing gloves again like they would like Eddie Gossage would have at Texas. I mean, it's one of those things where it shouldn't be that way, but when you make yourself public and you say, I'm going to get this guy, NASCAR's going to be watching, and you're going to pay the price if you do it. Yeah, 917-889-8280. If you want to join the show, call in about anything you saw this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, anything you want to talk about uh, coming up to Bristol, uh, I know that, listen, I want to touch on this quick before I, uh, you know, I know there's a, a lot of controversy surrounding the invocation this weekend with the Duck Dynasty people. Um, and I just want to say this. We don't talk polit- politic- political situations on this show, and that is why we're not touching on it. I, I, you know, we can go into political debate all we want, but uh, it's not the fact that we're missing that. I know what's going on. It's the fact that. I refuse to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it either way. And, and you're more than welcome to call the show, and, and we'll give you our opinion on it. But um, I, I just, to me, this is a racing show. I want to talk about racing. So um, it's interesting, John. You know, Kyle Busch was the first driver in the last 25 years to sweep back-to-back weekends, win both races or three races in back-to-back weekends. It hadn't happened since 1991, September 91, when Harry Gant did it. Um, what was what's more impressive in your eyes? I know you know Gant at the time in from September 1st to September 28th, 1991, there were seven races in the NASCAR Winston Cup 
and NASCAR Bush Series, and Harry Gant won all of them. And, uh, you know, the last four weeks, Kyle Busch has, has won, uh, last two weeks, excuse me, Kyle Busch has won four races, and he was really, um, he, he's a blown tire on the final lap away from winning the last five Bush races. So uh, it's been a kind of an impressive streak here for Kyle Busch. Yeah, Kyle's running great. Um, again, put Kyle Busch in an Xfinity Series car. He's going to go. He's going to win. It's just how it always works. I mean, they keep saying that Suarez and Eric Jones, once they get it, get together and all that stuff, they're going to beat the King. But I don't see anybody coming up and getting close to Kyle Busch the way they are. Again, it's the it's the Joe Gibbs horsepower. They're getting everything they can out of those cars. You notice they're qualifying one, two, three most weeks, and Bush just runs away from the field and stinks up the show, and he now has two clocks and two sets of six shooters because of the way that car is dialed up, and then you add Kyle Busch's talent to it. I mean, I think Eric Jones can be a great racer in five to ten years. I think Daniel Suarez has a shot at being a decent cup driver. He's not, the, neither of them have Kyle Busch's talent right now. And the, maybe it can be in the same equipment, but they're not even in the same ballpark at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's funny because there's a negative perception about Bush, obviously, him winning all these races the way he's done it. And when Harry Dent did it, 91, won seven consecutive races, there was really no uh, negative perception from it. Now, you know, why do you think that is? Do you think Gant, in a way, is more? Is it because Gant is a, was a more likable guy at the time, and you know, he was 51 years old when he when he went and did it, uh, and he was kind of not a you know, to say there was powerhouse teams back then, it really wasn't. But um, you know, he was kind of with a team that was sort of off the radar a little bit. He had a great crew chief in Andy Petrie, who went on to win championships with Dale Earnhardt, obviously, um, but and, and be a car owner. But why do you think there was such a negative perception about Kyle Busch and not such a negative perception about Harry Gant? I think back then, if I mean, like you said, they don't have the mega teams. You don't have the four-car teams back there. Back then, if you had two cars together, that was a big team. You Harry Gant was just a quiet guy. I mean, everybody – I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Harry Gant. And plus, on top of that, he was 51 when he was doing this. It wasn't like he's 30. I mean, Gant was 51 pulling this streak off. He was toward the end of his career. He was driving for a good cup team in the 33. I don't even remember what the, what the uh, Bush team he was driving for. I think it might have been um, Leo Jackson at the time. But I yeah, think Jackson Harry Gant just was one of those guys – you didn't hear anybody really complaining about Mark Martin when he would drop down and win all those races. I think it's Kyle Busch. I think it's Joe Gibbs racing. I think whenever Keselowski does it, they have a freak show about Keselowski. He just doesn't do it as much as Kyle Busch does. Kyle Busch goes and runs 24 races a year in the Xfinity Series. And it's, I mean, like I said, it's like bringing Big Poppy down and putting him at Pawtucket for 30 30 games a year and watch them break and hit 800 and hit 35 home runs in 30 games. It just is different level of competition. Yeah. It gives the young kids something to measure themselves against, but it's really tough to measure yourself whenever you start off three seconds behind by the end of the first lap. And you're just hoping to stay on the lead lap by the time Bush gets around to you. Nine seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the show, I, you know, it, it is funny. I agree with that to an extent. I think here's where I, I stand on this, and I've been saying this for a while. I think the part of it is that it just happens so often with Kyle Busch the last six, seven years where we've seen him come to the series. Not, it, You know, Carl Edwards dominated the Bush series for a couple of years, too. Then he stopped. He stopped running Bush races altogether, and, you know, you kind of forget that Kyle Busch did. Um, Harry Gant didn't run nearly the amount of races. didn't nearly the amount of Xfinity Series races that were companion events to Cup back in, the ni- in 1991 that they do now. So it just seems like it happens every week, and I just think people are starting to see get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. But it is funny how, you know, from September 1st, September 28th, 1991, Harry Gant did nothing but win, and everybody looks at that as one of the greatest accomplishments in NASCAR history, which I agree with. But Kyle Busch has 
come out and he's dominated these last two weeks, and all everybody's saying is, you know, it's ridiculous he's stopped running bush races. It's just kind of funny about that. Um, well, the one thing, I, when it comes to Kyle Busch in this, Clayton, that um, if you remember three years ago when Kyle Busch Motorsports had an Xfinity Series team, and he ran his own car, mm-hmm. he did not win a race in Kyle Busch Motorsports equipment. When he went back to JGR, he's lighting up the place again. He was lighting up the place before he formed the Kyle Busch Motorsports Bush, or nationwide team at the time. But driving the equipment, I mean, Kyle Busch in excellent equipment means win. Kyle Busch in building equipment, which Kyle Busch Motorsports is trying to do, he was part of the field. He was not the locked-on guy you can count on to win every week. I think part of it is the cup teams dipping down into Xfinity with the cup drivers, and that's where you see the problem. I mean, you look at Childress, Austin Dillon runs some races for them, and he's won a few races for Childress, but they also have um, Brandon Jones. They also have Ty Dillon. I mean, yeah, Ty Dillon down there. They're Xfinity drivers. They're not the locked in, everybody's going to run cup, and then they're going to come down and run the companion races. Childress is trying to still build an organization and build from the ground up. You look at um, Petty, when they're trying to do, they have their 43. they got Jeb Burton in there. The 98 car that they partner with, that's when they'll throw uh, Almirola or Brian Scott down there to run an Xfinity series, but it's not the same as Joe Gibbs. Penske's doing it with one car. It's not like he's out there with two cars. Stuart Haas doesn't do it. JR Motorsports, they have the one all-star car where it mixes between them, but then you also have um, Allgaier and the people who are going to help fill that, I mean, fill the role. It isn't Mm -hmm. like it's the same cup team like it is at Joe Gibbs Racing. I mean, they're all in the same shop. Junior Motorsports has their own shop. They're getting stuff from Hendrick. They're getting support from Hendrick, but it isn't the same. They're doing it on their own. You're right about that. I agree. I think it is uh, the thing about Cup as well, where look at the Cup series. I think Cup teams coming down. I, I agree with you there. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. It's it's been a it's it's a funny funny situation that we're in here with this, and I don't think it's it's going to go away. I mean, everywhere you you read about it, uh, it's all it's all over the place. It really is. And, and Joe 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 Gibbs Racing is in another little bit of a dilemma here that we want to talk about here on this show, and it's something that's very interesting. I was talking off there with my brother, John, who you know used to do this show and now has gone on to other things, um, about the the future of NASCAR and their young kids. Eric Jones, and I heard on PRN Radio this week, and I don't know if they were supposed to say it, I can't remember, it was one of the lead announcers, whether it was uh, Doug Rice or, or um, Mark Garrow, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them said that Eric Jones is coming to the Cup Series for fur- with Furniture Racing as the second team in 2017. He made that very, very clear. Um, so, and, and maybe he could, I'm not saying he's absolutely right, but it sounds like Eric Jones is definitely coming to the Cup Series. Let's just leave it at that. Um, what do you think about that? And what do you think about for, if they expand? Now, here's my question. You know, it's no longer like it was a year ago where you could move a team and say, you know what, I'm going to start, I'm furniture racing. We got sponsors from Bass Pro Shops. Now we're going to start a second team, put furniture all in the car as well, and go out there and try and make it work. You have to get a charter now to make these races and, and to make the money, really. Um, you, I don't think you can do it without a big-time sponsor to move these guys to Cup without big-time money. And Ryan Blaney, they're trying to get a, they're trying to get a, uh, a charter for Ryan Blaney so the 21 team can make some money and Penske can make some more money and get a charter under there. What do you think about all this, John, uh, about Eric Jones? Do you think he's going to go to Joe Gibbs Racing or do you think he's going to go to Furniture Racing? What do you think about that? I think he's going to go to Furniture Row until Kenseth's contract goes away. Because they just invested a boatload of money in Carl Edwards. You're not pushing Kyle Busch away. And Denny Hamlin, if I remember correctly, still lives next door to Coach Joe. And Denny, if he was ever going to move, it would have been next year into the 14 car. And I don't I mean he's not moving because they put Boyer into the car. I think Hamlin's locked in at Joe Gibbs Racing. He plans to stay there forever until he until it's time for him to hang up the helmet. I think Eric Jones, Toyota's invested a lot into him. Joe Gibbs has invested a lot into him. 
They'll put him in a second furniture row car. The thing is, everybody looks at Barney Visser, they think underfunded team, all that stuff. Barney Visser is a furniture magnet. That guy is a billionaire. He's got the money. He can do what he needs to do. He's done most of everything. He's had his own sponsor. This He had his own furniture company as a sponsor. So pretty much he's been doing everything out of his own pocket since he came into NASCAR. Finally, they got Bass Pro Shops on the car, so they have a sponsor outside of Furniture Row and Denver Mattress, which are the Barney Visser-owned companies. So everything he's done since Furniture Row came in the cup has been building it himself, funding it himself. I can see Barney Visser having no problems doing this. And you watch and see if GameStop doesn't come across and sponsor Eric Jones as they go forward and Gibbs make sure that there's sponsorship on the car. Yeah. It's just to me it's very funny because um I think when you when you think about it, you have to sit there and say about these young kids coming up in the Sprint Cup series, what about these charters? Because these charters are gonna be valuable, especially when you get to the Daytona five hundred in February. I always, I think Daytona five hundred will always have more than forty cars down because the race pays really well and you can get your way in because of a race. You know, the dual races, you know, when you draft, you can kind of um, make it a little bit easy. You can, not easier, but it's it's better than, than just going on pure speed. You've you kind of got more control in your hands. It's kind of in your hands more to make the Daytona 500. So you have to wonder, you know, if Eric Jones next year is in a second car at Furniture Row Racing, and for some reason they're not as fast and they wreck in their duels, he's going to miss the Daytona 500. And that that could put a hamper, that's going to put a hamper on his entire season, and it's not like he can race once he races his way in the following year, you know, like it used to be in the past where if you miss Daytona, you have an entire year to try and make up the points so you don't miss it again the following year. No, you you if you're not a charter team, you can't race your way into a charter anymore. You can't race your way into the field anymore. You have to go out there and make every single race. And again, when you are talking about somebody who's at Joe Gibbs Racing and has got Joe Gibbs Racing technology, Joe Gibbs Racing engine still gets racing chassis underneath you. He's going to have a pretty easy time making the race, but again, they're not going to be making as much money for that team at Furniture Racing that they're going to be having at like the four teams of Joe Gibbs and the other team at Furniture Racing. It's just interesting because there's a lot of people who could be affected by this. Daniel Suarez. Suarez is another guy who I think a lot of people might see in the Cup Series in a couple of years. He's got Aris behind him, but where are you going to get the charter for that? Are you going to get a charter for that? Uh, same thing with Double Wallace, another guy who uh, a lot of people look at out of the Rosh Fenway stables. You know, Rosh Fenway's only got three starters. Will they get a four, three charters? Where they get a fourth charter from, who knows? Uh, they also have Chris Buescher in the, in the Cup Series running at Front Row Motorsports. Will, how long will he stay there? Will they get a charter? It's just it's craziness. And I know Greg Biffle's going to retire, and you're right about Matt Kendrick. I think Matt Kendrick's going to be uh, not – he's got more years behind him than he has in front of him, but – I don't see Kenneth going anywhere in the next three years. He's still a very, very talented race car driver, and I still think he's got a lot of wins behind him in the right situation. Uh, so these char- this charter system and this chartering situation could prolong these kids. I think we saw it. perfect example is Ty Dillon. I think Richard Childress in a perfect role would have Ty Dillon in the Spring Cup Series if owner points still mattered. But now that he's kind of in a situation where with a chartering system, he can't put Ty Dillon in the Cup car and he's another guy who, where you kind of have to sit there and say, where's Richard Childress going to get that charter from? So there's a lot to take in here, and it might prolong these kids getting into the Cup Series. Well, the the one that I look at whenever you see the Ty Dillon thing coming up, Newman's contract's up at the end of this year. This will be his third year in Childress. Usually it's about three years. Newman's yeah. contract's up. Grandpa's going to take care of the boy. He's run respectable in Stewart's car. You can almost bank that Ty's going to be driving the 31. Eric Jones is going to go to Furniture Row. It's going to come down to the point sooner or later that there's going to be 10 four-car teams. And the Penske's, I mean, Roger's got enough money. He could probably buy and sell. Levine Family Racing. He could buy and sell um, Front Row Motorsports. I mean, pick a mid-pack charter team. He could probably buy and sell Tommy Baldwin. But, I mean, Penske's going to get a charter whenever he wants it. 
and right now he's just fine because the Wood Brothers don't have one. And sooner or later, Penske's going to expand to three teams. The Wood Brothers are going to retire, and that 21 car is going to be part of the Penske organization instead of the Wood Brothers. And that'll become a charter that'll go in there. I think the ten years or the nine and a half years for the chart, nine years for the charter to match the TV contracts. I think it's way too long. I think you should relook at every two, three years and see who actually is running well. Reward the people who are up there running well instead of the people who have charters and are finishing 31st, 32nd. I mean, you look at that second charter that H. Scott Motorsports is leased. Annette's doing nothing. Boyer's doing nothing. I mean, I read something interesting with Boyer this week. He said when he left Michael Waltrip Racing last year, they had 28 engineers. And now at H. Scott Motorsports, they have one. Yeah. And it's not like he's getting Stuart Haas's chassis. He's not getting Stuart. I mean, they're running the H. Scott Motorsports stuff with Steve Addington, who's a mid-pack crew chief at best, and they're not able to get Boyer up there. I mean, he's hating life right now. He's wishing it was next year already, and we're only seven races in. The charter thing is going to be a problem as they go forward. I think it's going to be too long, and I think you're going to see charters bought and sold within the next two years. It's going to be interesting to see what goes on there because there's a lot to take in with this. There really isn't. You know, uh, I think H. Scott's a really interesting team because they only do have one charter with the Clint Boyer team in a 15 car, and they're leasing the other one, like you said, from uh, Premium Motorsports in the 98 team. And Michael Annette could easily, I could totally see a scenario where Michael Annette runs as a solo car operation with a charter of the next couple of years. But then you have to sit there and wonder, will they grow as a solo car operation? Will it help them? Will they get better? Yada, yada, yada. And it might because, you know, Boyer's only got one engineer. Maybe they they only got one engineer and a 46 as well, and they combine both teams and they say, you know what, you know, obviously let go some people, but say we're going to have two engineers on, on Michael Annette's team and kind of help help them get better and better and better. Who knows? Um, but it, it's a, I think that's an interesting team to watch because I think that's a team that if they're not running good for the next couple of years, you know, I could totally see somebody walk up to Harry Scott and say, hey, I'll give you $10 million. Um, and I don't know Harry Scott, but I could totally see a scenario where somebody walks up, give him $10, $15 million for a charter, and he sells and gets out. Maybe goes to the Bush Series. Who knows? But um, it's Well, the thing with Harry Scott that surprises me is they're still locked in with – in the Hendrick program when it comes to chassis and they're just doing whatever. But if you look at the Xfinity series, Harry Scott's partnered with Chip Ganassi yeah. to make sure Brendan Poole and Brendan Poole and Larson have cars to run. So Harry Scott is tight with Ganassi. I'm surprised they just don't combine it and make a three team operation under the Chip Ganassi banner. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be, and, and that's the thing, they're going to get a charter with that as well. And there's a lot of owners over there as well with, Chip and, and now Rob Kaufman and Felix Sabatis. And if you had Harry Scott in there, you know, that's another owner. And it, it, you could definitely see that happening as well. But it's going to be interesting because you mentioned Ryan Newman earlier, and you're right. I checked jski.com, which is a great website. Uh, and both him and Menard's contract is up at the end of the year. Uh, Paul Menard's at, at the end of 2016. So is Ryan Newman. Those are interesting rides to watch. I think they're going to keep Menard because Menard bring, is very he's run pretty well. Bring some money there as well, but Ryan Newman could be a very interesting driver here for a lot of teams. I think if there's a team out there that's struggling, you know, they might sit there and go, "Hey, uh, we want Ryan Newman on our team." Maybe Richard Petty Motorsports. If Brian Scott doesn't work out, they go get Ryan Newman. There's a lot of situations, and I, and silly season to me is never over. There's teams always the the mind is always churning, and we've seen it early. I mean, it was a couple of years ago when Carl Edwards was going from Roush to Joe Gibbs Racing, where we saw Carl Edwards in a golf cart with, with Joe Gibbs at Richmond in April, and they were like, oh, that's, you know, meaning Carl Edwards is going to Joe Gibbs Racing, and they hit the nail on the head. So it just shows you how fast and how quick these things move. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on as well, is these guys who have contracts up who are big-name drivers. Ryan Newman's a very, very good Sprint Cup Series driver, and a driver who can make the chase and win a lot of races. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he stays at Richard Childress Racing uh, through next year, if they re-sign him or not, or, like you said, put Ty Dillon in the car, um, because Ty Dillon is in some of these series or his talk they're trying to get him in the Cup Series. You know, if they get him in the Cup Series next year, Ryan Newman could be out of a ride. He could be an interesting driver to watch here in 2017. 
I don't disagree um, one bit. I think I think Newman is the one to watch whenever it comes to silly season this year. I could see Roush if they find. I mean, if things go crazy, I could see Roush trying to find a spot for him over there because it's not like Trevor Bain's lighting the world up and not like Biffle's lighting the world up. I mean, Newman finished second in points two years ago and didn't win a race. I mean, he hasn't won a race at Childress. Right. And whenever you were saying about how silly season starts early, how about the year before, before the chase, a year and a chase ahead of time, Harvick says, I'm not coming back to Richard Childress <laughs> Racing. And everybody knew where he was going. He was going to drive for Stewart. And, but nobody knew if it was going to be a two-car uh, three-car team with Danica or if it was going to expand to four. It wound up expanding to four when Gene Haas decided to throw Kurt Busch in. It could have stayed a four-car team if they kept Newman and built the Harvick team up from the ground like they did. But it's one of those things that Newman is steady, but Newman hasn't lit the world on fire since about his third year in Cup. Yeah. And both Biffle and Bain are, are signed through 2017, so it'll be you know they got to do some kind of uh, maneuvering to do that. But a guy who's interesting again, and, and I hate to speculate on this, is uh, Jim McMurray. McMurray's got his contract at the end of 2016 as well. Uh, he's been very, he's been good. They love him at Ganassi. He does a lot of good things, but he's not locked up as well. So he's another driver along with Paul Menard and Ryan Newman, who you could see kind of moving around here in 2017. Uh, just keep an eye on that in the coming weeks. Obviously, we're, we're probably going to get rumors here within the next month or two about what these guys are going to do. Um, I'm dying to see, honestly, what goes on there. Let's, uh, with let's have some fun with it. Think of Menard possibly at Penske because the 22 car in IndyCar this year, there's four races that Menard's is the sponsor of the 22 car in Indy for Roger Penske. And again, you know, it's interesting because that brings back the chartering system. You know, you just can't move guys anymore without there being an effect. And it, the effect would be that they're not going to make nearly as much money. And I know John Menard's got a lot of money, and maybe that's where they're looking at it and say, well, we don't really need a charter because Paul's going to make races. And I'm not saying these guys are going to miss races if you're on Penske stuff. So I really don't think they're going to miss races. We've seen it with the Wood Brothers. Wood Brothers aren't even close to missing races. No disrespect to uh, the 40 car, and, or the, the 30 car and teams like that. They're way behind from where Penske is. So they're not in any danger to miss races. And I think maybe these owners will sit there and say, we'll take the guy who has some sponsorship, and if their sponsor wants to pay more money and it kind of equals itself out with the chartering system, that could be another situation as well. Um, but it, there is an effect to it for sure. And does it affect the growth of Eric Jones? Does it affect the growth of Dana Suarez? Does it affect the growth of Dale Wallace Jr.? Uh, it, it remains to be seen. And I think it definitely does because, you know, this sport goes in trends, I believe. I think, you know, I remember in 2007 when, you know, David Rudin and Michael Walter were missing races with big-time sponsorship and Dale Jarrett was missing races with UPS. They were kind of saying we need to expand our pit stalls, make it a 46-car field so these teams with big-time sponsors can't go home. And now, you know, five years later they were saying, well, why are we having starting park teams? I think this, this sport goes in trends. And now these young kids are coming up and they have some sponsorships with them that are willing to pay some money to go to the Cup Series, and now we have a chartering system that could affect the way this series is ran. It's very, very interesting. I, you know, And again, with the silly season coming up, Ryan Newman coming in at a contract year, Paul Menard in the contract year, and Jamie McMurray in a contract year. Those big three. Also, Eric Amarola is in a contract year uh, for, for Richard Betty Motorsports. So maybe you could see a whole big shuffle of, of these four drivers, but it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and this is all according to jski.com about these drivers' contracts, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see here as we move forward through 2017 season. Um, a couple of, of sad news stories here in the sp- in NASCAR, if you've uh, paid attention. It looks like Rockingham Speedway is going to go under, under another sale. Let me try and find the exact words here about Rockingham Speedway. Um, racing is in doubt there. Uh, it sounds like they're going to go under another uh, auction there was talk they were going to they were going to run a, a stock car series there. Now that has fizzled out completely, and it looks like Rockingham Speedway uh, looking for new ownership here in 2016. John, do you think we'll ever see racing at Rockingham at, as far as in a big capacity again? No, 
And I will tell you, of all the tracks I've ever been to, the best racing I've ever seen is at Rockingham outside a half-mile dirt track. There were three grooves. You could run top, middle, bottom. Tires wore out. I mean, it was great racing. And the problem was both of the dates that Rockingham had back then was right after Daytona where in central North Carolina, you don't know in February if you're going to have rain 40 degrees or you're going to have sunny and 85. And then you had the next to the last race of the season. Again, November, middle of North Carolina. Don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. And the fans just didn't fill the place anymore. And if you think about it, just in that 90-mile circle, you've got Richmond, you've got Charlotte, you've got Darlington. I mean, where are you going to go? And the amenities at Rockingham are not close to the other three places that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Rockingham was a great track. If there was a track that I wish NASCAR would bulldoze a mile and a half for it, either Chicago or pick one of the mile and a half to run and bulldoze it, build Rockingham Jr., you're going to have great racing, and they'll sell it out where they're at. It's just the economy, where they are at, where they're located, and the amount of racing around them, and the dates that they had, Rockingham was destined to fail. Yeah, 917-889-8280, and that's the number to call if you want to join the show. And I remember when Rockingham was done. I mean, uh, I was Bill Elliott a fan, and when it got close to the end, Bill won there in 03. And I think we ran until 04 at Rockingham. The crowds there were very weak. Um, and, and I remember saying people saying, oh, you know, we miss Rockingham. They should have showed up in the first place. But like you said, there's a lot around it. It was toward colder. I mean, I think it was the second to last race of the year when Elliott won there in 2003 right before Homestead, and yeah, it's kind of warm down, but it could get chilly there, you know, and, and that's not an excuse. I always say, you know, uh, if, if good racing sells no matter what weather, no matter what, good racing will always sell, but um, to me, it, it's just, it's sad. It's, it's a sad situation, because like you said, it's such a good racetrack. I put on such good racing, I and mean, Andy Hellenberg did a great job reviving that racetrack from the dead, putting a truck race there, giving us so many memories of the truck race when, when um, Casey Kane won there and Kyle Larson won there, and then it kind of fell into oblivion again. And it looked like it was going to be resurfaced, re, redone, uh, reborn again, you can say, for a third time and have these uh, the series run again. And now it looks like it, it's kind of dead again. And, you know, it's going to go by the wayside. It's going to go by the wayside of, of what North Wilkesboro is now. Uh, Rockingham Speedway will turn into that. And, and there's another racetrack, which I read that it sounds like it's going to get torn down. That's Nazareth Speedway in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, another track uh, where – you know, the Andretti's made their name out there in Nazareth, and uh, it sounds like the big track in Nazareth has been sold. Um, I, I went and visited there not too long ago, um, and it's it's a very eerie place where there's not a lot of stuff going on, but it sounds like they're going to try and tear some of that track down in Nazareth Speedway. There are some bush races there, and that's another track that sounds like, uh, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that racing wouldn't return there but it's going to be gone, and it'll just be a distant memory here the next 10 years. I think the guy said he's going to be doing, putting some turkeys out there and doing some turkey farming on the, on yeah. the property. I mean, it's just it's, it's sad. It's one of those cases. And Nazareth was one of those speedways growing up in Pennsylvania and you growing up in New Jersey. It was one of those speedways that you heard about. You always knew what was happening at Nazareth, it, and it goes back even like with Trenton used to be. Those were two mile-long tracks that were cool racing, and Nazareth, I mean, IndyCars put on a great show. The Bush Series back then put on a great show. Again, it's off weekends where I mean, you didn't have any of the big stars for Cup, and when IndyCar was there, it was during the split, so you Sometimes you had a crowd, sometimes you didn't. A lot of times the crowd came with whoever came to the track with the drivers, and that was the crowd they were racing in front of, and it just couldn't keep up. And the, the funny part is, you look at it, go back to Roger Penske, the racetrack designer and racetrack owner. He built Michigan, he built California, and he rebuilt Nazareth. And whenever he got out and sold it to ISC, ISC 
really didn't want anything to do with Nazareth because it wasn't in a big enough market. I think if Roger Penske didn't sell the tracks, Nazareth would still be going today. Yeah, and, and we've seen the big time um, companies do this racetracks in the past. You know, like you saw with uh, SMI, the same deal with um, North Wilkesboro. And it's just, it's just, you know, for for old fans who really, when you think about it, they had they've had their entire memories as kids growing up there, you know, and it, it's just tough, and it's sad to see. And I, you know, I hope it's not a thing to come here in in the future where uh, this it's it's a sign that this sport is not healthy because we all want this sport to be going on for years and years and years, but there is some kind of uh, perception that the racing and the race and the sport of, of auto racing is not healthy, and the ratings are down in NASCAR. The, the attendance is down extremely. Um, so it's it's a it's a very interesting concept, and um, you know I was hoping Rockingham was going to be reborn again, but uh, it looks like it will not be reborn again here in 2016. Couple of interesting, uh, ex- well, really one interesting Xfinity Series news here, John. Uh, over the last day, uh, I was listening to SiriusXM NASCAR Radio yesterday. They had Larry McReynolds on in place of Kenny Wallace. Larry McReynolds' son Brandon. You know, he's won some NASCAR Kane uh, and East Series races. He's won a couple races over there as well. Uh, he's won a Bush race in the past. I believe it was for um, back when Turner Motorsports ran. And now he's going to run the number 24 car for JGL Racing at Talladega on May 1st. Uh, this is a kid, John, you talk about a lot. You like him a lot. You think he's got a lot of skill. Here's his opportunity, well, a small opportunity, but given a shot here in a JGL number 24 Toyota for Talladega on May 1st. Yeah, that's one of the things I was joking with you before the before we went live with the show. I said, "Yeah, Brandon Runner, Brandon McReynolds is going to be in a car. Don't know what kind of car because the 24 is always a 20th to 25th place car. If it's on a great day, a lot of times it's 25th through 35th. But I think Brandon McReynolds is one of those kids that just needs a break. I mean, he's not coming with sponsorship to the table." I mean, Larry Mack does great with Fox. I mean, you'll get some name recognition with the name McReynolds. You also get that with Corey LaJoy, and neither of them are bringing total, I mean, bringing the $10 million package they need to get in a top-line Xfinity race, I mean, Xfinity car. They may get a couple here and there, but you get some name recognition, but that doesn't pay the bills anymore. Whenever you were saying about the sport may not be healthy, I am 100% in agreement that I don't think it is right now because here we are seven races into the season and we don't know who the title sponsor is yet. And if there is a title sponsor to be had, do you think that Brian France would be jumping up and down saying, hey, look, we got this $10 million a year sponsor or whatever we're going to end up getting? I don't think the $100 million sponsor that Brian France thinks he's going to get is out there. I think That's very that NASCAR topic. is struggling right now, and if I'm a if I'm a big time thing, yeah, you get your name on it where you're the NASCAR whatever series, but you have to pay a boatload in marketing. You have to pay a boatload to continue to promote the thing. Pay less, get on a car, and you're gonna be there the same week too. Yep, you're right, John, and and it's funny because. I was just saying this, you know, we're 10 weeks away from the 2017 season and there's the sponsorship title sponsorship for this. I thought would be done by the beginning of 2016. Now it's not a big deal now to me that this isn't done, but eventually here, June, July, that you're going to think they're going to have to start making some signs. They're going to start turning some of these racetracks over from sprint you know, where sprints painted everywhere on these racetracks or there are sprint signs everywhere on these racetracks, they're going to have to start turning some of these tracks over like Daytona when we don't want to go there in February, uh, like Las Vegas Motor Speedway, which we don't run again anymore until there's a new title sponsor. So they're going to have to start turning some of these tracks over here. And it might I think it's a long process. And if we don't have a title sponsor by the time we get to June or July, at least in place, I think it can get it's going to get very hairy for NASCAR. Um, and I don't think these... This drop in ratings we saw again. Texas didn't have great ratings as well. Is helping anything? The, the drop in attendance. I don't think that's helping anything. And it is very interesting because 
I thought when I remember hearing when Sprint was getting back and I was like, wow, I, you know, there was rumors about it for about a year, but when it came out officially, I was like, okay, I think in about January 2016, February 2016, when we run a 2016 Daytona 500, we'll have a pretty good idea of at least who the title sponsor is. Here we are in April of 2016, and we still have no idea, no inkling. Uh, the, the press doesn't really know a whole lot of, of, of it going on. So uh, it's kind of a NASCAR seems in a transitional period here, and uh, it, it's not a great time to be looking for um, a title sponsor, that's for sure. I think if if they had something locked up, we'd already know. And they may have three or four different sponsors they're trying to lock up, but I think every sponsor's playing hardball with them. And if I'm a sponsor, I would too, because, I mean, they're already... NASCAR's getting a billion dollars combined between Fox and NBC. Why should I throw this more money to where these same people, the France family, keeps making money hand over fist and not investing into the product. All they do is keep the official everything of NASCAR, but then you see teams struggling to get sponsors, struggling to be competitive because the money isn't there. It's all sitting in Daytona Beach in the France family coffers. Right. No, it's, to me, a a very, very interesting topic. Another topic, you know, we talked about Newman and, and McMurray and Amarola and all the guys whose contracts are up Menard at the end of 2016. That's another topic here in the next couple of months you have to keep an eye on because not that people forget about Sprint leaving. I just don't think it's in the forefront of your thoughts when we go to a track like Bristol, when we go to a track like Richmond. I don't think it's anybody's forethought. You know, oh, we need a title sponsor next year. But it's something that is a very, very, very major impact for this sport to have a title sponsor. And to have not to not have that um, – Put away yet? It, it's it's to me it's it's uh, it's a sign of, of, of the times really. And listen, I hope the sport grow, grows forever. But um, you know, I'm not sure you're right. I think maybe they thought they were going to get something that they haven't yet, as far as 100 million dollars a year. But we'll see. You know, it, it's still uh, there's still some time I think to get it done. But in the next couple of months here, if they don't get it done, I think it's it's something to be very very alarmed about. We're going to Bristol this weekend, John. Um, I love Bristol. I liked it a lot better when they before they made the renovations to the racetrack, but it's still a short track. It's still a fast short track. It's still a lot of fun. Uh, are you ready for Bristol? Are you excited for Bristol? Um, again, Bristol's getting to the point to me where it's like watching Martinsville, except they're going a little faster. Instead of hugging the bottom like they used to, now they're hugging the top. The second lane hasn't come in since they've redone the track with the progressive banking. And then they tried playing the old, let's scrape up the pavement, I mean, scrape up the cement and get it to do, try to get a second groove in. They've yet to do it. Then when they got them all the top, they decided they were going to mess with the top and try to get them down. They're still up at the top. So I think Bristol's a one-lane track. It's a matter of who you wreck to get ahead and how good two different pit lanes. you got the front stretch, back stretch. Green flag pit stops at Bristol, you're three laps down coming out of there. You better hope that a yellow doesn't come. I think a lot of times the winner at Bristol is someone who gets lucky not to get caught in the pits under yellow, and I think it's also somebody who starts up front and keeps his nose clean and doesn't really tick anybody off. I love Bristol. I think, uh, I, like I said, I liked it a lot better before they they, repaid, they redid it all. And I'm interested what, I'm interested to see is what this arrow package, this new low downforce package, does for Bristol. I know it's, it sounds stupid because you sit there and say it's a short track. How can it really affect it? But to me, it's a fast short track. They make, they make time on that track, 15 seconds, flat high bank, high high speed for a short track. And will it change the way these cars run? I think it will a little bit. I think you might see the bottom come back in. And maybe it'll help uh, keep two lanes. Because I think if we had two lanes, it would be very, it'd be more interesting. Um, so I'm interested to see if it changes at all because of this new down, lower downforce package here coming up uh, that, we, that we haven't seen yet at Bristol. So, um, you know, but it's, when a short track part of the schedule, we've got three great races coming up, Bristol, Richmond, which is your favorite track, and then, of course, Talladega, which is uh, craziness. So kind of a fun part of the schedule here if, if you're a NASCAR fan. I think it's going to be a great couple of weeks. Bristol, you never know what's going to happen, and, you never, and tempers are determining how it ends up. 
Richmond's always a good race, and it's going to be different, especially since you're running it a Sunday afternoon instead of Saturday mm-hmm. night. You have a chance to see more slipping and sliding moving around the same way you do with Bristol. You have to have your handling down, even though it's a, you said, like you said, the uh, downforce is one thing on a big track. you got to be able to handle on these short tracks, too, because if you're wiggling, someone's knocking you out of the way, so you got to be able to get dialed in and be able to hook up. Yeah, I agree with you, John. And we thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles. Uh, it was a great show, and we'll be back here next week reviewing the Food City 500 at the Bristol Motor Speedway. Good night, everybody.